Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today, available for iOS and Android users in the App Store. Now here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Deasy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Well, even though I'm on vacation this week, I'm still putting together a show. Daily Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly will make his weekly appearance and let you know what are the five high school football games to watch this weekend, and he'll offer his predictions. My first guest calls college football and basketball for ESPN. He has also called Monday Night Football for the network. He was a play-by-play man for CBS's Major League Baseball coverage back in the 1990s, and he spent 17 years calling the Boston Red Sox games. He will be honored by his alma mater, Syracuse University, on Friday when he is presented the school's George Arendt Award. And then he'll stick around to call Saturday's Clemson-Syracuse football game on ABC. Please welcome to the podcast, Sean McDonough. Sean, uh, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you coming on. My pleasure, Karen. Good to speak with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's uh, been a while since we chatted. I think the last time we chatted was back uh, when you were at CBS. Well, then that has been a long time because I haven't been there since 1999, as quickly as time flies. So it's uh, good to catch up with you after all these years. That's great. Uh, first of all, congratulations on the award you're going to get Friday night. Uh, talk about that. What does it mean? What does this Errant's Award mean to you? Uh, it means a great deal. Yeah, I love Syracuse. I have tremendous respect for you know, the history of the Errant's Award, and there are some amazing people who have won in the past. They're two great women who are winning it with me uh, this weekend. And, you know, it's just to think that Syracuse thinks about me in that way. You know, there's a committee of people who pick the winners along with the chancellor's input. And we have 241,000 living alums around the world, you know, so many of them doing so many great things in their chosen field. So, you know, to be chosen from among uh, that larger group, um, by a university I love very much is really very humbling and moving, and uh, I'm deeply honored and, and very excited about it. What was your time like at Syracuse when you were there? Oh, it was great. You know, you're obviously very young. Um, didn't really want to go there originally. I applied there because I knew I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, and SU already had a tremendous reputation for producing you know, some of the all-time greats like Marty Glickman and Marv Albert and Dick Stockton. Bob Costas, all those guys were uh, well-established before I got to school, and uh, many more, for that matter. But uh, growing up Irish Catholic in South Boston, you know, Irish enclave, I grew up a Notre Dame fan and really wanted to go to Notre Dame, so I was really disappointed when I didn't get in, but uh, really believe that God has a plan for all of us, and you know, that's a great example of it, because Syracuse was definitely the, the right place for me to be, given what I wanted to do, and uh, had an amazing experience there. I've said many times, I never met anybody who went to Syracuse who didn't love it, and I tell that to friends of mine who call and say, you know, my son or daughter is interested in Syracuse, what do you think? And I always tell them, I, I think they should go, if they have a chance. You know, I got so much great experience, uh, not just in the classroom, but, you know, at the student radio station, and the chance to broadcast AAA baseball while I was still in school, and the relationships that you make, the opportunity to work for the great Dick McPherson for three and a half years as a work-study student when he was our football coach. I learned a lot about football, but more than anything, learned a lot about life from him and how to interact with people in the world, and especially as a public person. You know, nobody 
treated everybody uh, better than Coach Mack because everybody was important to him. So I have 40 years now of uh, incredible memories. Stayed very close to the school, you know, on the communication school advisory board and on the uh, board of advisors of Hendricks Chapel, which is the center of all you know, spiritual and religious life uh, on campus. So uh, it has a very important place in my life, and, uh, and it has from the first day I walked on the campus and realized this is the right place for me. And what do you call Syracuse? Any chance you get a chance to mention it? It's like the, the Harvard of upstate New York. Is the that Harvard what? of Central New York, absolutely. <laughs> you know, at the rate that the university continues to get even better and better, I think our new chancellor, uh, Kent Siver, has done a great job. I guess he's not so new anymore. But the, you know, I think the reputation of the university is uh, is improving. And it's not that it wasn't great, because I think it is great. But I, I think uh, beyond the things that you think of first, when you think of Syracuse, like the communication school, the visual and performing arts, you know, I, I think uh, the academic profile of the, of the university is really uh, stepping up and there's some exciting things going on on campus with uh, facilities and, you know, from an athletic standpoint, the renovations to the dome, which we're going to see this weekend. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, pretty soon Harvard's going to be the Syracuse of New England if we keep going like this. So uh, I say that, Ken, in lieu of, you know, instead of having to spend money, I just say to tell SU, you know what, I call you the home of the Central New York all the time on TV, so... That should count for the, the good publicity in lieu of any cash that you might be wanting me to send to you. That should be a breakout quote in the uh, uh, recruiting brochures. <laughs> yeah, it really should. No, I'm very proud of the university, really, in every area. And uh, as I said, I think the, it's always been strong academically and it's getting even stronger and stronger in so many ways with the uh, current administration. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you wanted to get into broadcasting. Your father, the late, uh, great Will McDonough, was uh, for years at the Boston Globe covering the NFL. He made the transition and really one of the first, along with Bud Collins and Peter Gammons, to you know, make that transition to television. Did you ever think about going into print journalism or was it always strictly uh, you wanted to be a broadcaster? No, I thought a lot about it. Uh, I had a chance to do some writing when I was a kid, you know, for a high school paper, but also we had a terrific regional paper here on the South Shore of Boston that still exists called the Patriot Ledger and it was widely read and uh, I kind of uh, did some stuff for them covering you know Legion baseball sailing bases and uh, a lot of the stuff that they're more prominent sports writers probably wouldn't want to cover but uh, yeah it was a, it was a decision for me and it was really my dad you know at that time I was coming out of college and uh, high school in the late 70s and graduated in the spring of 1980, you know, thinking about what I wanted to do. And at that time, now ESPN is doing a lot of celebrations of 40 years on the air. So ESPN was barely on the air. Uh, a lot of these other sports cable enterprises didn't really exist, but they were on the drawing board. And back then it was really when newspapers were just starting to struggle a little bit. So my dad was the one who said, you know, not only do I think you have talent with the spoken word, but I think you will also have greater opportunity if you go into broadcast journalism because you know that is expanding now. There's going to be more and more opportunities, and there are probably going to be fewer and fewer opportunities in print journalism. And you know, nobody gave me more great advice than my dad uh, in all areas. But you know, that was particularly insightful advice because you know everything he said turned out to be true. And I think uh, you know, broadcast journalism was the was the right place for me. You had a chance to call the Boston Red Sox for 17 years. Uh, how much of a thrill was that to be able to be the play-by-play voice? It 
drill camp because it was really the first thing that I wanted to do. When I was a kid, I knew it probably five or six years old, following my dad around to the various games. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a broadcaster. And really the, the job that I was dreaming about back then was to be one of the announcers for the Red Sox. So, you know, when I got that opportunity at age 25, you know, largely because of what happened at Syracuse, you know, to be the, the voice for the AAA Syracuse Chiefs when you're 19, 20, 21, 22, you know, that put me so far ahead on the fast track of most people trying to get a Major League Baseball job. I don't know, hundreds of games at the AAA level. So, um, you know, it, uh, the, to be the voice of the Red Sox, you know, if I had thrilling thing that uh, has ever happened to me uh, among the various things that have happened, I would say that was it. And, you know, I've gone back this summer and done some games for them on radio. And I'd always done the TV for 17 years when I was with them, but I hadn't done that in 15 years. So when they invited me back this winter and said we'd love to do some games on the radio and come back kind of be a part of the family again, uh, that was really a treat. I enjoyed it very much. I, I, I had a chance to listen to a couple games. You sound like you hadn't lost a beat with the baseball. It was great to hear you. Oh, I appreciate that. It's fun. You know, Joe Castiglione's been a Red Sox voice for 37 years. He's a legend. I think he'll belong in Cooperstown someday, uh, sooner rather than later. He's one of the nicest people. And, you know, to broadcast Red Sox baseball, especially having grown up here in Boston, is, is special. You know, there's a diehard fan following. They're all a little disappointed with the way this season turned out. But, um, you know, friends of mine said, well, why would you go back and do that with everything else you have going on and, I said, well, why would I go back? It's the Boston Red Sox. You know, how many people in broadcasting would kill to do one game on a, a Red Sox game on radio or TV? You know, so uh, it's a countless number. So uh, I was flattered and honored that you invited me back, and it was every bit as much fun as I thought it would be. Before we get to the uh, Syracuse Clemson game was on for Saturday, your broadcasting. Your thoughts about the firing of Dave Dombrowski? It just seemed like the come out came out of nowhere, and especially ten months after the Red Sox won the World Series. Yeah, I think it was, that part of it was very surprising given you know how close they were to their historic season, you know, not only winning the World Series but setting the franchise record for wins. And, but you, know, you started to hear rumblings early in this year. I don't think ownership liked some of the contracts that he doled out, uh, big money contracts, particularly to some pitchers who've had a history of of injury. Although I don't know why uh, you know they wouldn't sign off on those things. I mean, if I'm going to sign. Nathan Evaldi for $68 million, I, I would think I would have to run that by the ownership, so I would assume they signed off on it, and therefore should you know, assume uh, their share of the blame if it doesn't work out. But, uh, you know, I just think there was a lot more to the story, as there usually is, whether it's, you know, interpersonal relationships and how people are getting along, you know, in the offices and that sort of thing. I just think there was a lot more to it uh, than that. But, you know, to me, he did what he was brought in to do and what his track record was. He was not really ever a big develop the farm system and develop prospects. He was, you know, win now, which is really the Red Sox philosophy. So uh, that involves, you know, spending money, having a high payroll, and trading some minor league players for uh, for quality proven major leaguers if need be. So I'm a little surprised because I think he did what he was, uh, was told to do, brought in to do. But um, as I said, I think it's probably a lot more behind-the-scenes stuff than than most of us know. Okay, let's talk about Saturday's game, which will be on ABC at 7.30 Saturday night. Uh, you're going to switch places with Chris Fowler, who normally does the uh, primetime games. Uh, this game, maybe a couple weeks ago on paper, looked like it was going to be a great matchup. Uh, you know, Clemson, the defending uh, college football playoff champion, Syracuse, coming off a great season last year. 
and then, you know, a couple years ago, Syracuse upset Clemson at Syracuse and really start that program uh, back in the winning direction. But uh, Syracuse coming off of really a crushing defeat by against Maryland, 63-20. Uh, how, how do you look at this game right now? I mean, does it, is, how bad does Syracuse need this? Well, you know, I, I think uh, it would certainly be a big boost, particularly given what happened last week. Um, you know, I still, still think it's a very good football team. They didn't look very good against Maryland, but I think, uh, you know, talking with the Clemson coaches not long ago, they said, you know, there are a lot of factors they think went into that, not the least of which is, you know, Maryland has an all-new coaching staff, and uh, they really didn't show much in what they did against Howard when they won their opener, I think, 79 to nothing. So I think Syracuse kind of went into their game from a coaching standpoint, a little bit blind, not knowing what to expect in terms of uh, the schemes and uh, play calls and that sort of thing. And, and I think Maryland's also better than people realize with uh, some transfers, particularly the quarterback. So I think it was a combination of factors, maybe looking ahead a little bit. But, you know, it's still a big game. It's an enormous challenge. You know, Clemson is a tremendous team. I think that, you know, they are number one consensus number one and I think they deserve to be I, I think they are the most talented team in the country particularly on offense they're very well coached and uh, but Syracuse has the benefit of knowing that the last two years as you said you know they beat them and then they almost beat them and uh, you know the atmosphere will be great despite the loss which was a little deflating I, I know the fans will be uh, really into it perhaps that'll help and, and I do think Syracuse is better than it has showed but uh, it's going to be an uphill battle but um but I think they're capable of uh, pulling off the big surprise if they can kind of get back to the form that they demonstrated last year when they won 10 games. Well, Sean, uh, congratulations again on the award, and I uh, look forward to, uh, look forward to uh, having you back on sometime soon. We'll talk some more, maybe college basketball somewhere down the road uh, in the wintertime. Well, I appreciate it, Ken. And uh, you know, just add, you mentioned that, that they were switching me to work with Herb Street this week so that, I could be there for the ceremony. I just really want to thank ESPN for doing that, and particularly Chris Fowler, as you mentioned. He switched places with me for the week, and you know, if he didn't agree to do that, then uh, I would have grabbed the trophy on Friday night and hopped over to Penn State as fast as I could have. So uh, we just want your listeners to know what a good guy he is and how much I appreciate his kindness because uh, now my family and friends and I will be able to really enjoy the whole weekend rather than be having to scurry on Friday night. So uh, a big thank you to ESPN and particularly to Chris for being so accommodating this weekend. We're uh, really looking forward to it. Nice to catch up with you again after 20 years. Yes, uh, great to catch up with you, Sean. Appreciate it once again for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. Have a great day. You too, Sean. Thanks. That's Sean McDonough of ESPN. We'll be back uh, with Mike Kelly, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, to talk about uh, the five games to watch in high school football. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hi, this is Hunter Moffat, founder and CEO of Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Our app is a community connecting like-minded athletes, families, and sports affiliates for their specific needs. Positive form of social media designed for long-term success. We have a template for users to easily curate, track, record, and grow their statistics and social multimedia content in one digital profile. Create, connect, and promote your brand. Think Instagram for athletes. Notable Trophy Case team members include Ron Jaworski, former NFL quarterback and founder of Jaws Youth Playbook, who says, 
Throughout my success in the sports world, I believe Trophy Case can bring value to many different levels of athletes and unrepresented sports. This platform will level the playing field for athletes at the beginning of their career with technology for generations to come. You can download the Trophy Case app and the Apple Store and Google Play. Send us your feedback. Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Get it today. Hi, this is Union College football coach Jeff Behrman. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette, Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back on the podcast, hope you're enjoying it. Uh, Sports Editor of the Daily Gazette, Mike Kelly, joins me for his weekly appearance to talk about the five high school football games to watch this weekend. Mike, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me, Ken. Uh, Thanks for coming on, Mike. Uh, Your five games this week, we'll start with uh, the Class A game, Amsterdam at Troy. What's that game going to be like? Sure. I mean, that, that, that should be a fun one with uh, both teams coming off, you know, pretty nice week one wins. Um, you know, we, we expect Detroit to win in week one. Amsterdam was a little bit of a, a, little bit of a surprise, taking one from Class AA Colony. Um, Amsterdam has been a little bit down these past couple of years, but, but seems to be back on the right track this year. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to pick against Troy at home, and that, that is my pick, um, but that should be a good competitive game. Uh, oh, three B matchups you have on the uh, docket: uh, Glens Falls at Schuylerville. Glens Falls uh, looked like they didn't uh, miss a beat without Joseph Gerard the third. Yeah, I mean, you know, before the season, I was kind of expecting, you know, to hear from some different teams about, you know, Class B being, you know, pretty wide open. Um, and the consensus seemed to be that this Glens Falls team is still the team to beat. Um, and that Skylerville is, is right up there with them. And obviously Glens Falls goes to Skylerville here in week two for a fun one. Um, I'm going to go against the grain a little bit. I think Skylerville at home uh, gets this one. Um, but it should be a great game and really wouldn't be a surprise either way it goes. Yeah. Mahanas and Queensbury, this could be an interesting match. Mahanas had a big win. Uh, Alex Gannon, four touchdowns in the game uh, last Friday. Queensbury. Uh, struggled with a 10-6 win over Boston Spa, and you know, we, you know, we were monitoring the Twitter on Friday night, last Friday night, and we saw it. You know, the game was halftime was over in less than an hour. It was only three nothing at that point. I mean, this game could be a lot more interesting than we thought originally. Sure, yeah. I mean, this is a fun Class A matchup, and uh, you know, Queensbury. You mentioned that Queensbury Boston Spa game last week, and you know, that's one that you know you see that game being a close game. You kind of expect Queensbury to roll a little bit in that one. Um, so it'll be interesting in week two to see how both Queensbury and Boston Spa do, because um, maybe Boston Spa is better than we thought they were. Uh, but Mahanson goes up there, you know, after a, a great week one win for them. I was out with them today, actually at practice. Um, you know, and they're you know pretty optimistic about what their season could be like. Um, you know, this is another one. You know, it's it's hard to pick against Queensberry until they you know lose a game here. Um, you know, really only Burnt Hill seems to get them these last few years. You know, if ever, and uh, you know, so at, at home I'll, I'll take Queensberry in that one. I have to correct myself because I originally put that under the B matchup, and now obviously it's a Class A matchup. And now Coalska Richardville and Holy Trinity to, to round out uh, so the, the the last B matchup we talked about. Uh, uh, Holy Trinity, you know, they moved up to Class B, and they looked impressive against Hudson on uh, Saturday. Yeah, I think Holy Trinity surprised some people with that. I think everybody knows that they have you know some, some really talented players over there. Um, I think there was some question about how that translates when they moved up a class. Um, you know, and Hudson's a, a good program that you know they you know beat pretty handily, uh, pretty decisively. 
uh, last week. Coleskill, though, with a, with a great week one win against Shelmont. Um, you know, whoever wins this one probably becomes the favorite in that division. Um, in my power rankings this week, I actually have Coleskill above Holy Trinity, but with the game being at, uh, at Bishop Gibbons, uh, Holy Trinity's home field, I'm going to take Holy Trinity. Well, we'll talk about the power rankings in a moment, but let's get to that uh, big double-A uh, matchup, Shaker at Shen. It's going to be on the TV on uh, Friday night to be this game. You saw Shen against Bethlehem. They look good. Uh, and what about Shaker? This means, it seems like this could be, uh, could be the, is it too early to say, the double-A decider? Uh, well, I mean, so, so yes, definitely too early. <laughs> but you know what, though? In two weeks, we might look back at this and say that it was, you know, kind of the decisive one. Um, but I was, I mean, you know, before uh, Saratoga Springs, CBA, um, you know, they, they get to have a say before we declare this over in week two. But no, this is a huge one. You know, I think both these teams look at this as, you know, this is a, a preview of, you know, either a semifinal or a final down the road. Um, Shaker, you know, you mentioned how, I mean, Chen was very impressive in week one, going on the road, winning at Bethlehem. Um, Shaker goes on the road with, you know, a, a pretty, a relatively new cast. They've only got, um, you know, they've got about half their starters back on both sides of the ball from last year. Um, and they go to Gildalyn and win, win in week one, um, you know, pretty convincingly. Um, this is another one, power rankings. I've got Shaker one, I've got Chen two. The game's at Shenandoah, I'll take Shenandoah. And also those Class AA uh, power rankings we'll talk about yet published in uh, Wednesday's Daily Gazette online at dailygazette.com. Uh, you have Saratoga Springs number three, CBA four, and Gildalyn five. Uh, was that pretty accurate? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's always really tough after week one because there's, you know, we, we kind of talked about a little bit earlier with kind of like that Queensberry Boston Spa game where, you know, you look at that and you're not totally sure what to think because you, you know, in most years you would expect Queensberry to, to win that game more convincingly than they did. You know, that goes for all the classifications. You know, in Double A, you know, I think some people were probably surprised by Saratoga playing a pretty competitive game with Niskayuna, but I think that Niskayuna team's better than, than most people think. Um, so it, it's very difficult in week one, but, you know, I, I would imagine, I would say in, in Class AA, those five teams, um, you know, those probably are the right five teams that we're going to be talking about most weeks. And in Class A, you had Burn Hills 1, Troy 2, Avril Park 3, Queensbury 4, and Amsterdam 5. And teams like uh, Balls and Spa, Mahonis and Kosha, Glenville could be uh, contenders for those top five spots. Yeah, that was a class where, you know, usually, you know, you know, truthfully, putting together powering for high school football, it's pretty formulaic. Um, you know, it's not the most difficult task to, to, to figure it out after you have a few weeks to really look at the results. Um, but this class after Burnt Hill, it's really tough to kind of separate some of those teams. Um, you know, Troy's probably a clear number two. Um, but Avril Park, Queensbury, Amsterdam, Boston Spa, I mean, you just list off all those teams. Um, you know, I was really tempted to, to put in that top five, you know, all of Boston Spa, Mahas, and Scotia. Um, you know, and that's usually not the case that, you know, you find yourself, you know, needing to, to cut out teams. Usually you're looking to include a team. Um, so this seems like a very competitive classification. And in Class B, at Glens Falls 1, Schuylerville 2, Cobalt School, Richmond 3, um, Holy Trinity 4, and Shamont, despite the loss, number five. Right, yeah. Shamont lost at Cobleskill. Um, I think Cobleskill is really good. Um, this is a class that might be super top heavy um, with those top four. 
with, you know, Glens Falls, Schuylerville, Cobleskill, Holy Trinity. Um, you know, I think uh, at least at this point after one week, you know, I feel pretty good with the way that they are one through four. Um, but, you know, if we get to week four and it's those four teams and it's, a, you know, a totally different order, um, that wouldn't shock me because I think all four of those uh, schools have a lot of talent. Class C, Cambridge-Salem, uh, number one in the, in the rankings, followed by Stillwater, Greenwich despite the loss, um, then uh, Fonda Fultonville and Canajuri Fort Plain. Yeah, you know, in this one, you know, Cambridge-Salem, obviously, number one, you know, that's pretty easy just with what they've done in recent years. And, you know, you re- really you can go back further than recent years, you know, which probably like the last 20 years. Um, <laughs> you know, Stillwater, Stillwater was really great winning on the road at Voorheesville. Um, and then, you know, Greenwich is kind of maybe the tough one to peg in this class after a week because they do have that loss, but it was to Cambridge, and that was a pretty competitive game. Um, the game was at Greenwich, um, so it'll be inter- interesting to see kind of how things shake out this week uh, with that class as they move forward. Class D, only six teams in it. Uh, Chatham's one, uh, Warrensburg two, Whitehall three, uh, Corinth, Fort Edward number four, and uh, Helderberg Valley number five, and Coase uh, and also ran. I'm mean, not, not an also ran, but other team uh, mentioned. So uh, Class D kind of, you know, with so little teams, it really kind of figures – be a tough uh, to rank those teams uh, so far. Right. Yeah. Well. Well. well it's e- I guess it's easy in the sense that you just have to pick one team not to include, right? right. But yeah, it's difficult, to, especially after those top two, because right now it does seem like Chad and Warrensburg, um, you know, are probably much better than than the rest of those teams. Um, so you know, it's it's those one, two in some order, and then kind of from there, you know, we probably need a few more weeks to to really figure it out. Um, I think the thing that's interesting about this class, though, is you mentioned that it's six teams, um, which is which is true. But there's actually only four teams that are eligible for the playoffs. So, so we actually already know that Chatham, Wardsburg, Whitehall, and Helderberg Valley are are going to the, the Class D semifinals um, when we get to that point. So it doesn't matter what order they're in when they get to that point. Exactly. Yeah, and usually uh, they, they, in past years they've done those Class D semifinals at, at neutral field, so they're not even really playing for home field. So uh, you know, it's a it's a different uh, it's a different type of ball game in Class D than it is in our uh, other classifications this year. Well, Mike, appreciate a few minutes, and we'll do this again next week. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Kevin. Right. That's Mike Kelly, sports editor of the Daily Gazette. I'll come back with my parting shots as we wrap up the Daily Gazette uh, the podcast. Uh, the Party Shots Podcast, if I get the name right. <laughs> so, uh, we're listening to the Party Shots Podcast here on DailyGazette.com. Hi, this is Daily Gazette News columnist Sarah Foss. Once again, I'll be going head-to-head with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott with my weekly NFL picks and defending my championship. Go to dailygazette.com slash blogs and look for my picks on my Thinking It Through blog. You can find Ken's picks at dailygazette.com slash sports. Back to wrap up the podcast, and as Sarah said, look for her NFL picks along with mine at dailygazette.com. I have taken the early lead after week one. I went 11-4-1, while Sarah was 9-6-1. But believe me, it's too early to brag. Also, look for my blogs on NFL and college football TV coverage this week. 
You can find it at dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. Now time for my parting shot. I have always liked NBC Sports NHL analyst Pierre Maguire. I thought he has done a fine job with his Inside the Glass segments, and he has been generous to me from writing me a nice note thanking me for an article I wrote about him to making appearances on my old Slapshots college hockey segment on Fox Sports 980. But there are a majority of hockey fans who not only can't stand McGuire, they despise him. He's one of social media's favorite whipping boys, and I've never understood it. Well, the haters were out in full force last Wednesday when the Athletics' Rick Carpinello reported that McGuire was being removed from NBC Sports' number one hockey team, which includes play-by-play announcer Mike Emmerich and analyst Eddie Olchek, and that Brian Boucher was taking over. An NBC spokesman said in a statement, identical to last year, we will begin the season with Doc, Eddie, and Brian working the early Wednesday night hockey game with Pierre anchoring the late game of the doubleheader. The attacks and celebrations of the news were so vicious that I thought they were going to plan a victory parade. To me, the attacks are unwarranted and way over the line. A lot of the hate is directed at him for supposedly being a homer, especially with the Pittsburgh Penguins, where he served as an assistant coach on their Stanley Cup championship teams in 1991 and 92. I know many Philadelphia Flyers fans who can't stand him for this alleged homerism. But you people need to understand something. McGuire is not a homer, and you need to listen to the entire game. Your problem is you hear what you want to hear. You're so darn busy complaining about something McGuire said that you missed one or two things he said complimenting your team. And spoiler alert, national announcers are not biased. You people need to understand this, but it may be way above your comprehension skills to do so. If you want biased announcing, go listen to your hometown announcers. Most of them will tell you the sky is blue when, in fact, storm clouds are developing. Sure, McGuire can be a know-it-all at times, but I'd rather have someone like him than a reporter not knowing what they are talking about. And if you know-it-all critics think you can do a better job than the people you're criticizing, pick up a microphone and get in front of the camera. Remember that you'll be talking to millions of viewers and that they're hanging on your every word. Wait, you look a little nervous. The sweat is making your TV makeup run down your face. You're stumbling over your words. The pressure's getting to you. You drop the microphone. You're wondering what people are saying about you on social media. You run off the camera scared out of your wits. The job isn't an easy one as you thought. Maybe you should appreciate the job people like McGuire do, but I doubt you will. And that wraps up another edition of the Party Shots podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, ESPN's Sean McDonough and Daily Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly. The Parting Shots podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Downloaded today. Available for iOS and Android users in your app store. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Party Shots Podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Shot. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Good day, good sports.